2: The Unofficial Bengals
1: Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the win against the Buccaneers and a preview of the upcoming game against the New England Patriots. And Tom McLevy and Justin Lacy are going to stop by for another roundtable edition.
0: What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross. And you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. day,
1: Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. Down 17-0. 34 straight points to win this game. I'm going to keep throwing numbers at you. First place, number three seed, 10-4, and four, six wins in a row. over the last nine games, 10-2 over the last 12 games. Everything is falling into place. Everything is going right. We're getting hot at the right time. This feels like last season. I know we have some more injuries than we did last season, but everything is falling into place. It seems like just everything is on our side. Good play, good coaching, a little bit of good fortune, a little bit of luck, and that's what you need to go deep into the playoffs and into the Super Bowl. And that's exactly what's going on right now. All right, so let's quickly go over some headlines. So first off, I want to say it's been really exciting doing this podcast. It's fun when your team is doing this well. You have the best quarterback in the league. You have a bunch of comeback wins. You're just looking unstoppable. There's not a better time to record this podcast, and it's a lot of fun doing it under these circumstances. And if you look at the top of the AFC, it's the three teams from last year, the best teams in the league, the Bengals, the Bills, and the Chiefs. And if you think about it, those are the best quarterbacks in the league. Burrow, Mahomes, Josh Allen. And now you have Justin Herbert squeaking into the playoffs. And, you know, he might make a case for himself over these next few years because he is a very talented quarterback. And like everyone's been saying, we're going to have these four quarterbacks competing for the AFC Championship on a yearly basis. And, you know, take your turns going to the Super Bowl. I'm hoping that the Bengals get more Super Bowls than all these guys. But if you think about it, it's the four top quarterbacks, and those are the four teams to worry about in the AFC. All right, so on to some injuries for this week. Sam Hubbard went out of the game with a calf injury, and it's looking like he's going to miss a little bit of time. They're saying that they're hoping to have him back for the playoffs. So that's a big loss. That's an adorable defender. He's been excellent all season long. His best year as a Bengal. Get better soon, Sam. We're going to need you for the Super Bowl push. And Cam Taylor-Britt went out with an injury, too. It was on a tackle. I'm not sure what happened. When I saw it, it looked like a collarbone or a shoulder I haven't heard any updates as of this recording, but it didn't look good. I'm hoping that he doesn't miss any significant time because he's been playing excellent lately. And you had Dax Hill get to start this week because Hilton was out and Jalen Davis was out. I was looking forward to seeing Jalen Davis in there because he's been playing very well when he had to spell Hilton a couple times this season. Unfortunately, he was nursing a thumb injury, Hilton with the knee. So Dax Hill got to start in the slot, and it was kind of, as they say, baptism by fire. He was in there mixing it up. I thought he did well in the run game. He wasn't too vulnerable in the pass game, so a pretty good effort by him. And it's nice to know that he can get in there and play slot corner. That's why they drafted him. They drafted him for the athleticism, the speed, and the flexibility. You could put him at slot corner. You could put him at free safety. You could even throw him outside in a pinch. And that was big in this game when you're down your top two slot corners and you have Chris Godwin on the other team who does some damage in the slot as well. So a good effort by Dax Hill and nice to see that the draft picks are paying off. And unfortunately, I think we're going to have to start grooming our replacements for Coach Callahan and Coach Anarumo. They're coaching so well. The second half adjustments have been just amazing, probably the best in the league. And these guys are going to get head coaching offers. And I'm hoping that we can retain one or two of them. But those offers are going to be there, and we'll see what happens. I don't know what they're going to do internally, if they're going to promote someone up, if that happens, or bring in someone from the outside. But even though we're in the middle of a playoff push, and that's all we should be thinking about, That's something that the front office needs to be thinking about on the back burner because I think it's inevitable, unfortunately. And speaking of the second half adjustments, it just never ends. Even this game, when we went to the locker room at 17-3, I told my girlfriend, I was like, watch us in the second half. We are going to regain the lead. We're going to take this game. And it just happens virtually every game. It's, I know it's almost like, will the luck run out? But I don't even think it's luck. I think it's just excellent scheming. And They're just, these halftime adjustments, I've never seen them be this effective. I mean, last year we were very good at it too, and obviously the end result was a Super Bowl, but this year it's just, you know, to be down 17-0, then 17-3 into the half, and then come out and just totally shut them down. But for the most part, that defense didn't let up anything. And that's Tom Brady. If they keep making these adjustments in the second half of games, I don't think they're going to lose another game right through the Super Bowl. And we let up our first 300-yard passer of the year. Of course, it's Tom Brady. Some of it was in junk time in prevent defense. But it took until week 15 for someone to put up 300 yards on us. And just an interesting note, we're seeing things this year that we don't see too often, like that crazy ending of the Patriots-Raiders game where they did the lateral and it got run back the other way for a pick six. Just crazy stuff. The, the huge comeback in the Tennessee game. And then this week, we get a first and one. Now, I've seen them before, but they're so rare. It was a blocking penalty downfield, which brought the ball back. And then you see first and one, you know, just not too common. And this has not been a very common NFL season. The only common theme is that the Bengals are on top. Week 15 review, Cincinnati Bengals 34, Tampa Bay Buccaneers 23. I love the officiating crew. They weren't flag happy. We had a couple calls go our way, but they were fair calls, and they were letting the guys play downfield. There wasn't a ton of holding. There wasn't a ton of pass interference, no illegal contacts, any of that stuff. Very well played by the referees. Just let the guys play, call the blatant stuff, and let the fans enjoy the game, and this crew did just that. I hope when we make the Super Bowl, it's the same crew and not Torbert's crew. And then Tom Brady makes the mistake. I don't know. He should have learned this over the years and years of being the GOAT and studying under Bill Belichick. Don't give the other team bulletin board material. He says the Bengals are a fairly tough defense. And Joe Burrow dismissed it as he didn't mean anything by that. He was just trying to say that we're a tough defense. But the defenders did not take to that. And you had B.J. Hill and Eli Apple after the game reference that and, you know, say that, I don't know, Tom Brady played a fairly good game or whatever it was. So bulletin board material, big mistake out of the GOAT there, and it came back to haunt them. You know, you, you get guys playing with a chip on their shoulder, they're more dangerous. And the lack of the run game really caught up to the Bucks. I mean, you have Tom Brady, you have some great receivers, they were looking good early, they were hitting everything to Evans and Godwin. Evans was having his best game of the season by halftime, but they couldn't run it. So it goes to show, no matter who is quarterbacking for you, if you're totally one-dimensional, and the defense is well-coached, you're not going to succeed. And that's exactly what happened this game to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And you see a lot of teams on the first drive seem to score. You see it a lot like a bad team will go up 7-0 on a good team right away. And remember, they script that first drive the whole week, the first 15 plays or the first series or maybe even the first series and a half. And so that's why teams come in very prepared. And that's what happened with the Bucs. I saw it. I was like, all right, they scored early. I think it was a field goal but they had a nice drive, and I was like, they're not going to be able to keep this up all game. We're a superior team, and it shows. And our our first drive was going the same way. We were exploding until, unfortunately, that tip ball changed the momentum, and then we kind of slowed down a little bit. But that's the case. Never panic when a team just marches downfield and scores on you right away because that's what they've been focusing on all week. It's after that first drive when now you're making adjustments and you're realizing this works, this doesn't work, and all of those things factor in, and then teams kind of come back to their baseline. And that's exactly what happened here as well. Tampa Bay, some explosion early, couldn't sustain it. And this red zone offense and this red zone defense of the Cincinnati Bengals is just lights out. It seems like every time we're in the red zone, we score, and it seems like we're preventing a lot of other teams from scoring touchdowns when they're in the red zone. And if you look, you know, turnovers are a major stat. Third down efficiency is a major stat. And red zone effectiveness is a major stat. Bengals are killing it on all levels. And Tampa Bay comes out. They have a field goal, first drive a touchdown on the second drive, a missed field goal on the third drive. So they were really moving the ball early until Coach Anarumo figured out, all right, this is how they're attacking us, no more. So the Buccaneers come out in the second half. They're up 17-3, to and they go – it wasn't a three and out. It was technically a four and out because they tried a fake punt to Gio Bernard to get a first down. I mean, that was such a major error. Like, you're at your own twenty. You're leading 17-3, to three, and I understand the mentality where you want to put the Bengals away, but that wasn't the spot in the field to try to do that. You just punt that ball away and make the Bengals march downfield on you. And again, they got greedy. They outsmarted themselves. Gio Bernard gave back to the Bengals. Thank you. You gave us so much when you were here. And in this case, you gave us the win because everything changed right after that failed fourth and one fake punt attempt. And then we had a bunch of touchdowns in the second half. I mean, Chase had one, Boyd had one, Higgins had one. That's fun to see that that trio all score in one game. I don't think it's ever happened before. And Coach Taylor, I don't know if it's following the analytics or just being Riverboat Zach as opposed to Riverboat Ron from, from the Washington Commanders. We gambled a bunch. On a fourth and three, we went for it. We were down 17-6. to six. A field goal would have put us one score down and instead we go for it. We went for two twice in the third quarter, and they call that chasing points. You know, you don't get that two-pointer, and now the other team can kick a field goal and go ahead of you. So, you know, we saw the daringness of the coaching staff to do that, and the first two-point conversion didn't work. The second one did, so they kind of equaled each other out. But, man, not afraid to gamble. I guess when you have this talented of an offense, you want to give them as many opportunities as you can, and it really paid off. And Brady, two interceptions, two fumbles, and that fumble by Fournette was Brady's. I mean, you saw it in his hand. I don't know if that glove was slippery or not, but he just squeezed it, and it came right out of his hand right before he handed it off. Big break for the Bengals. Four turnovers for the GOAT, and rough decision for him to come back this year. You know, he could have rode off into the sunset, and now he's on a team that's sub-500 for the— the guy who's had everything pretty much go right in his life you know ever since he started being a starting quarterback I don't know I think I think he might have stayed around one year too long like a lot of them do right Drew Brees same thing he was shot in his last year Peyton Manning was shot in his last year but he wins the Super Bowl because it's just Peyton Manning and a great defense but Tom Brady I'm not the first to say this but I think he should have stayed retired my man And then we took the clock from nine minutes in the fourth quarter down to 2.22 on our last drive, and that's a backbreaker. When the other team needs a couple scores to come back and you don't let them see the ball until, like, the two-minute mark, that's the way to control a game. And you do that with a run game, and we wore them down. Mixon and Piran weren't exploding in the first half, weren't even exploding in the third quarter. But you saw as the game wore on, that that two-headed monster starting to make some hay in the run game in the fourth quarter. Now, all of a sudden... The three yard runs or eight nine yard runs. And the last general observation was the big anticipated Burrow and Brady handshake at the end of the game. Pretty unceremonious. Joe was shaking hands with someone. You could see Brady was in a really bad mood. He came up to Joe, which was which was classy of him, you know, gave him a quick tap and said, Good game. And then right from there just hustled off the field. He didn't want a part of anybody and the iconic picture of Burrow and Brady shaking hands, almost like the passing of the torch. And Joe opens up really hot on that first drive. He had two perfect throws to Higgins. Everything was going right until that tip ball. And also in that first series, he changed the play to a Mixon screen for a first down. So they were in one look as a five-receiver set. He brings Mixon into the backfield, and I'm thinking, all right, he just wants Mixon in there as an extra blocker. He might see a blitzer coming or whatnot but they checked down to the screen and it was a very successful play. So nice to see on top of everything else that Joe Burrow does that he's making adjustments on the fly like that because that's how you'd have to play in the NFL. The ball continues to come out quickly and accurately. A lot of quick throws in this game. He tried the Mahomes underhand throw, which didn't work. The defender was right there, but that that was pretty slick. We don't really see much of that. You know, Joe Burrow's got the perfect throwing form, so it's just drop back and whip it, not try the fancy arm angles. But he's been experimenting. I've seen some sidearm, I've seen some three-quarter, and now we actually saw some underhand. Unfortunately, it didn't work. Maybe that'll discourage us from trying that again. And the decision-making. It's insane. You give Joe Burrow a little bit of time back there, and it's just like pitch and catch. And you look, he he struggled a little bit in the first half, like the whole team kind of did. And then the second half, it's like he barely threw an incompletion. And that's like coolness under fire and that's what I was saying during the game I'm like he never panics it's always everything's always within reach with this guy and it shows with with the way that we, we just keep winning four second half touchdown passes over 30 for the season he barked him off sides on that fourth and one we're up 10 right there that might have been another time to kick a field goal so another gamble and Joe Burrow gets in the jump I'm not even sure we were going to run a play maybe the whole idea was to get them to jump But sure enough, Joe Burrow does it basically on the first sound that he makes. So he just, at this point, it's like he can do no wrong. The interception on Burrow. So Keanu Neal comes up from safety at the last minute. So he's back. He must have saw that they were going to do the slant to chase. I think that's good film study by him. I don't know if it was a coaching decision or it's just something that he saw. But he comes up from his deep safety spot, kind of right into the throwing lane that they're going to go to chase on the slant. He reads Burrow, he guesses when Burrow's going to throw it, jumps at the perfect time, they get the tip ball to stall the first drive and give them all the momentum in the world. So a really good play by Keanu Neal. Joe Burrow interception, nonetheless. You know, again, we want to see a little less of these tip balls, but sometimes you can't prevent them. In this case, it was a dynamite play by a pretty good safety. And then onto the sacks. So on the first sack, there was no one open on the first look. Collins got beat with a speed move and a swim move at the same time. So he's coming bearing down on Joe. Volson gets driven back a little bit, so there's nowhere to go. That's the first sack that does go on Collins, unfortunately. Second sack was a good coaching move by them, and I think they had this planned. We were in five wides, empty backfield, and they just sent a blitzer from the outside, Levante David, a, a very skilled linebacker with some good speed. The line does their job. They pick up everybody. I mean, Kappa was on a guy, and Collins was on a guy on that side. So really, there was no one to help out with this blitzer off the edge. It was just a matter of getting the ball out before that guy got home. And unfortunately, he got home before we could throw it. Causes the fumble, the, the strip sack, if you will. And the ball luckily stays within Joe Burrow's reach. He grabs it, reins it in. You know, no big tragedy there. But those were the two sacks. Nothing blatant. One was a coaching thing. And one was a breakdown by our right tackle, unfortunately. All right, so some random observations on the offense this game. Yes, that first drive, we were driving great. They got the interception. But on that play, Chase was primed for a pretty big gain. He, he had beaten his man. It was one of those quick slants across the middle where you can see him, like, making a move and outrunning the safety and, and getting 40-some-odd yards on the play or whatever, you know, a touchdown in this case maybe. But like I said, Keanu Neal made a good play on that. We saw lots of Higgins on the first drive. Even with that hamstring, I'm just amazed at how he can perform and get open and show speed and make those cuts on a hamstring that's compromised. And that's the same one that he heard a couple years ago. So I was a little bit worried going into this game. I don't know if they gave him an injection. I don't know if it was just stim and therapy and plenty of stretching. Whatever it was, he was ready to play, and you couldn't even tell that he was playing with a bad hamstring. And he made that great catch on the two-point conversion. What I always say about T. Higgins, he catches the ball with his hands, not with his body. And that was a case where he was longer than the defender and was able to reach his hands out and grab it and strong enough to not let anyone slap it away as he brought it back. So a huge two-pointer at the time. And T. Higgins just continues to do everything right with his routes and with his catching, with his mindset, with his speed, with his leaping ability, with his ability to get first downs. I could just go on and on. Amazing that we got this guy in the second round he is just a premier receiver in this league and they single covered jamar chase a lot in this game i was shocked at it no one does that and every time you see single on chase and this time i must have said it like five times during the game like he's single covered this is it this is it and chase had a had a pretty good day he had a touchdown some big first downs seven catches on the day and mixon was semi-productive not his usual self and i still don't think he's totally back to normal but Effective enough. I mean, late in the game, a couple big first downs to really seal it. You know, no complaints about his play. I just want to make sure that he's all right because it just seems that he's not quite there yet. And they were trying to get Irwin the touchdown in the beginning of the third quarter. I think that's the new thing. Try to get this guy a ton of touchdowns. I know you're just looking to score. You throw, throw to whoever. But, you know, I mean, they got Wilcox the ball. Maybe, you know, get your home field touchdown. Maybe Irwin. Let's get him another one because it's just been a recurring theme. But nice to see him out there producing. And Irwin did have a big run after the catch on a third and five to get a first down. It was in a lot of traffic. It didn't look like he was going to make it. And he just put his head down and muscled through and showed some speed and made yet another big play. Offensive line was outstanding again. And Jonah Williams has just been playing great the last couple weeks. And I am happy to say that. I have been one of his biggest critics. We know that. And the last few weeks, he has been playing like a first-round left tackle. And obviously, the rest of the line was performing very well. And a couple times in this game, I saw defensive backs get mad at Karras. And you know why? Because Karras is getting to that second level and blocking. And that's a hustling center. And that's a key to the run game, too. If you can get some offensive linemen to the second level, you're going to do damage there. You know, you create the hole at the line of scrimmage... And if you can get a chip on a corner or a safety coming up to help, or a linebacker even, that's the key to it all. And, yeah, the fact that a couple guys got mad at him meant that he was out there being really aggressive on the second level, and i love to see it. And then I alluded to this before, but Ryan and Mixon just wore down that defense in the fourth quarter. We were running a lot of three tight end sets and just saying, all right, tackle these two horses. And they were having a real rough time with that, and that's how we drained seven minutes off the clock on that last drive which made a comeback virtually impossible. All right, on to the defense. Jesse Bates, I would say he had a little bit of a rough game this game. I mean, you can't say too bad of a game if he contributed to a winning effort and we shut him down in the second half. And there were probably a lot of plays that weren't on the radar that he made. But in this game, he had the dropped interception in the end zone, and that, that's a game-changer. It was right in his hands, although it was a bullet by Tom Brady. You're kind of not expecting it as a defender. But it went through his hands, hit him in the face mask and ended up costing us three points. Fortunately, not seven because they got the field goal there. But again, you catch that ball, that's three less points that they're scoring. So hopefully, I mean, Jesse has had a few interceptions this year, some huge ones in the playoffs and Super Bowl last year. So as these games get more important down the stretch, let's try to let's try to make that catch. We'll get on the jugs machine just a little bit more. And Bates kind of lost track of Evans on a huge play, which set up a touchdown for him. So I mean, you know, a couple negative plays here and there, but in reality, a solid enough game to contribute to, what, an 11-point win. Logan Wilson just throwing his body all over the place, hitting harder than ever, had the huge sack in this game. His Pro Bowl bid continues. Tupo had a really good game, too. He had two hits on Brady. He was active in the run game. I love him in that rotation. And every player wants to get a sack on Tom Brady. You know, that's what you tell your grandkids. And he was so close twice. It didn't happen for him. But maybe he can tell his grandkids that he knocked, Tom Brady around a little bit. And I thought Sample played well in spot duty, and I thought Osai filled in well too. Gunter got some work. Osai had a fumble recovery. Now, last week I was talking about how he's on the ground too much. And when he got the fumble recovery, he was knocked to the ground. So the other guys get the strip sack. Osai is on the ground. I'm not going to say as usual, but on the ground more than I would like. But in this case, as Marvin Lewis said, nothing good happens when you when you dive and go to the ground. In this case, he was on the ground, and the ball came right to him. So the rare exception to that rule. But still, Asai, keep your feet. Keep your feet. And I'm sure the coaching staff is going to let you know that. But a huge fumble recovery. You had a great pressure on Brady, hitting him as he threw the ball, and that led to the Pratt interception. So I would say a very good game by Joseph Asai. And we're going to need it. If Hubbard's going to be out for a little bit, Hendrickson with a broken wrist, who knows how long that's going to be. This is Joseph O'Sai time. And what am I going to say about Jermaine Pratt? The commentators were saying that his price tag this offseason is going to go through the roof in free agency because of the year that he's having. And he's been a turnover machine. A great catch on that interception. A pass breakup on a wide receiver, Russell Gage, in the end zone. He's always going for the strip. He's been rangy, just totally effective this year. And yes, him and Logan Wilson and Joe Burrow and T. Higgins coming up for free agency. We'll talk about that in February after we win the Super Bowl. But, you know, people are going to want some of these players because they're playing outstanding. And unfortunately, you can't keep them all. Speaking of outstanding, DJ Reader. I mean, every game is is like a highlight reel for him. He had a batted ball. He destroyed the run the whole game. He forced a fumble. On another play, he had a fumble recovery. Just all pro. No, I don't even want to talk about pro bowl. Give this man the all pro. And B.J. Hill, another good game. Business as usual. Was in there stuffing the run. They had him at defensive end for a couple plays. And on one of them, he hustles back upfield to tackle someone that's way beyond him. So that's that hustle that we've seen out of both of these guys. Man, this interior with Reeder, Tupo backing him up, Hill... Wilson and Pratt, and then Von Bell, you know, safety. That middle of the field, everyone's playing outstanding on the defense, but this middle of the field is just top-notch, and that's why teams can't run against us. And Trey Flowers had another good game covering tight ends. He had the huge interception in the third quarter to set up a touchdown. Really big moment in the game. He had a nice pass breakup earlier. And going back to his interception, he got into the end zone and he and he spun the ball on the ground. And then he realizes, wait, that's a Tom Brady interception. And he recovers recovers the ball. And you see him on the sideline clutching that like it's his firstborn child. Like, no one's getting this. This is going on my trophy case. Again, another moment to show your grandkids. And a huge play in this game. And J. Tufelli almost had a sack too. He, he beat a double team and got a huge pressure. And again, another guy who really would have been a difference maker in his life if he would have had a sack on Tom Brady. But an excellent play, and play like that is going to keep you on the roster, and that's more important than anything. And speaking of being on the roster, Alan George. When he came in, you're thinking Tom Brady is going to go right after this guy. And George did not get exposed. This is his second time playing this year, and there's really been very minimal drop-off. So glad to see this undrafted free agent that we all believed in in the preseason is carrying it through when needed. And that's what you need. You need depth on a team. We're seeing it now with Wouzier out, Hubbard out, Hendrickson out, some really key injuries on defense. And whoever's coming in place of them is, is stepping up, and that's a championship-level team. And then special teams. It just seems like Stanley Morgan is around every special teams tackle if he's not making it. So he is our Matthew Slater, who we're going to be facing next week. So maybe there's a passing of the torch there from Slater to Morgan. I'd like to see them shake hands after the game. And then on kickoffs, you see Travion Williams still returning kickoffs, and Chris Evans was in there blocking for him. So a little bit of a change of roles there, but they're sticking with the hot hand right now, which is Williams. And Evans is not pouting about it. He's in there. He's doing his job. I saw him fighting and making some blocks in there, so that's all you could ask for. You don't want guys pouting. You want guys to be team players, and Chris Evans is showing that. Then the last special teams thing, I charted Drew Crispin's punts on the day, so he had a 43-yarder, which I thought was a mediocre punt, he had a 54-yarder, which was a very good punt, and then he has a 38-yarder dropped at the 15-yard line, and then a 46-yarder dropped at the 2-yard line, a phenomenal punt, which is a game-changer at that point. That's like a defensive stand, when he puts the ball out at the 2-yard line, and you see... Bucks. they might have gotten one first down, but they they ended up having a punt at a time where you don't want to punt the ball when you're down two scores late in the fourth. So Drew Christman is showing off the leg and making some game-changing plays. So, you know, props to Kevin Huber for his long career, but the passing of the torch has also happened there, and we're benefiting from it right now. All right, so let's go over some key plays, and there were a lot of key plays in this game. It's hard to single out any, I mean, all the turnovers, the Gio Bernard mess-up on the fake punt. I mean, that was the biggest play in the game. But for the sake of this, let's just go over the touchdowns, the four passing touchdowns by Joe Burrow. First one, the Higgins touchdown. So you have two tight ends and a running back, and you have Chase and Higgins. Burrow flips Higgins and the tight end to the other side pre-snap, so I don't know if that was by design or he saw something. What we do is pretty unique. We max protect with the two tight ends and the running back, and all you have is Higgins and Chase in the pattern. So should be easy for the defenders to defend in that tight red zone area, just two receivers, but you forget, two exceptional top-of-the-league receivers. What happens? Chase takes two defenders with him to the left. The safety mysteriously stays in center field and doesn't help anybody. I don't know what or who he was spying. But just totally ineffective. I think it was a mental error. He should have went over and helped out on Higgins. And that's exactly what Higgins did. He trails on the back of the end zone. The DB can barely keep up with him. It's a perfect lead by Joe Burrow to the corner of the end zone. Great throw. Great lead of your receiver. And a big touchdown for T. Higgins. The Boyd touchdown was a little simpler. There were three wide receivers. You had Chase and Boyd on one side. Boyd's in the slot. Chase on the outside. Boyd goes first and does the out. Chase comes underneath him. When Chase comes underneath, two guys go with Chase. They leave Boyd one-on-one, pretty tight coverage, but the guy kind of falls, maybe gets his legs tangled when Boyd is making the out cut. And again, another perfect throw with very minimal window to spare there before the sideline. And a great catch by a guy who's, what I heard was, his bone was sticking out of his finger last week. He got surgery, and here he is making a huge touchdown catch. The third play I wanted to highlight was the Jamar Chase touchdown. So we have Trips on the right, Jamar Chase on the left. So you figure they're going to do something with, you know, Chase by himself over there. But they bring Boyd over in motion pre-snap as well. Again, I don't know if by design or something that Joe Burrow saw. So Boyd motions over, and he just kind of does an out and takes a defender with him. And Chase does that same route that he was successful on a few times this season, and especially last week, where he he just kind of runs a, a quick turnaround up the seam. And he runs it quickly enough where the linebacker can't get over to help in time, and Burrow releases it quickly enough where no one can help. It's Jamar Chase on a corner, and the corner wants no part of tackling Jamar Chase, and he waltzes into the end zone. And I don't know what was going on. Maybe he was in a bad mood, but we didn't see the gritty in this case, and I thought it was a time for some jubilant celebration, but Jamar Chase was all business. He wasn't in the mood for any of those games. And Burrow was animated walking off the sideline. I, don't, I, I couldn't read lips exactly, but it was something like the LFG as, as he's, you know, walking over to the Gatorade. And, you know, you very rarely see him get that fired up because he's so cool and level-headed. But, hey, I'll take it. Love it. Everyone was pumped up. Then the last play to highlight was the Wilcox touchdown. Congratulations on your first touchdown in your home state, your home city, basically. Two tight ends, which, again, we were using a lot of late in the game. And you have Morgan go in motion on a fake jet sweep defense doesn't really bite on that but then they do a fake to Mixon, so a double play action again how often do you see that and as they're doing the second play action you hear a defender say run 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 so they were totally fooled they thought it was going to be a run Wilcox blocks a little bit and kind of just releases to the right Burrow gets on the ball in perfect timing and no one can catch Wilcox down the sideline and the other thing to highlight was it was a great rollout and throw by Burrow. It's it's hard to throw on the run. It's hard to whether right is easier than going left. But when you're on the run like that, you know your momentum can let that ball get away from you. And you saw, he, yeah, his momentum's going to the right, but still able to keep that ball on on a line. And the result was a huge touchdown. So that's it. What can't this team do? To be down 17 nothing to Tom Brady on the road. And you come back and basically make it a blowout. You have major players go down in this game, and the backups come in, and there's no drop off. The halftime adjustments—I I can't go on enough about them. The unity of this team, and you, you know, they're all rooting for Trentoner when to get a touchdown. They're all going crazy when Wilcox scores. There's, you know, no divas. They're—they're they're a team, and they're a team that's going to go very, very far this year. <laughs>
2: Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast Roundtable, featuring Tom McLevy and Justin Lacy.
1: All right, we're here with another edition of the Roundtable, and this is a pretty good time to have it because it was an amazing win. We have Tom McLevy and Justin Lacy standing by. So without further ado, I'm just going to turn to you first, Tom. What are your thoughts right now about the Cincinnati Bengals?
2: Amazing. Uh, There's no other way to put it. It's funny, watching that game, you know, the terrible first half. The offense, like, it it just, it it seemed to, wasn't in sync. It just seemed like, but watching that game, I was never like, oh, my goodness. We, you know, I just felt confident. With, With Joe Burrow, anything's possible. I was thinking after the game these two groups are key to our success number one the offensive line as long as we're healthy we have a chance and i'm gonna call it the box in the middle on the defensive side bj e. reader bj hill wilson and pratt as long as they're healthy and playing we have a solid chance of winning I mean, that defense, we were down to guys they just activated the day before. Not one receiver on Tampa made a difference in that second half. Um, The pressure on Brady. You know, we're going to lose Coach Lou uh, next year. He's going to be a head coach. Just what he's doing on that defensive side coming out like I said I was wasn't down on this team in the first half I said this is a team that makes adjustments at halftime and look what happened I mean the special teams and defense picked up but uh, Chase in the middle of the field and making a linebacker guard him was brilliant so um you know, like I said, though, uh, Joe Burrow was standing. I think those two groups I just mentioned, uh, as long as they're healthy, we have a chance.
1: Tom, it's amazing. We've followed the Bengals together for decades, and I don't want to date ourselves by any stretch, yeah. but I mean, you didn't hear, I, I recorded a little bit earlier than this, and some of the things you said were so uncannily in line with what I'm thinking. It's just amazing how we think a lot the same about this team. Like, the box in the middle, I, I really drew attention to that because Hill, Reeder, and the two linebackers have been playing amazing, even if you want to throw Von Bell into the mix as, as the, the back end of that box. But, yep. Yep. but man, great analysis. And I, I said the same thing about Anarumo as well. You know, there's no way that he's not going to get offers. He got him last year, so great analysis there. Justin, I, I got to hear your take on what's going on with the Bengals.
0: And this is actually a great episode for me to bring myself back into the fold on things. The Bengals are riding high right now, six-game winning streak and counting, and emphasis on the in-counting parts because I do feel like that it is not out of the realm of possibility that they can win out and going into the postseason and then win out in there, too. As far as, like, the microcosm of the team, you know, I get it, man. We suffered a number of different injuries, but the overall nucleus of the team was just so well put together, and I understand... To Tom, to your point when you said that we might go ahead and lose Louie Arumao uh, as a head coach in the next year or whatnot, if that's the case, man, hey, I salute to him and thank you so much for a great job because just think about it, how far we came with him. Man. <laughs> you know, he was not a guy that was really well liked in Bengal world uh, yeah. for. Prior, his first couple seasons, along with Zach Taylor, you know, they got the coach Steph I don't even think he was even on first, second, or even third option to be a defensive coordinator, let alone he's taken scrap metal and turned it into gold. <laughs> it's, it's very impressive to watch, and I'm riding high right now. The Bengals are just playing great football. I can't wait to go deep into the nucleus of the team now.
1: Justin, I love that scrap metal into gold. It is so true. I mean, you're seeing guys that were drafted by us, and guys that don't have a huge NFL pedigree turn into really, really productive players. And you're right; the everyone was against Coach Anarumo a couple of years back. I remember there was something where people were saying, "Oh, he's being too verbally abusive to the players," and you know, it was crazy stuff like that. But I guess, I guess, winning changes changes that whole formula.
0: There was an article and I'm not going to necessarily mention uh, the reporter or the analyst's name, but there was an article, remember, uh, in Zach Taylor's, at the end of Zach Taylor's first year, maybe even second year, I believe, after Burrow got hurt, that there were questions about, you know, the coaches and how they they felt like that some of the players were giving up on them, that the culture was bad. and I remember hearing all of that, and only to come to find out that really none of that was true, and that there was any player that were – making that kind of statement, they didn't really have the guts to go and talk to the coaches about it because, hey, you probably see that those guys are not even in the league. Anymore. It just shows you the testament of how well put together that the culture has done. You know, he was preaching the term culture ad nauseum, and it almost felt like it was really overbearing to the fan base. But you're seeing it play out, and this is what it looks like. All the way up to now, you're seeing that we have a Super Bowl caliber roster right now in spite of the inners, I get it, but this team is ready just just to go ahead and make another run and continue to do this for years to come. As long as Burrow is still in the center, we're still going to be in the fight, and even if we do lose out to Coach Lou, to a head coaching job in the near future, we'll be okay. We just got to continue to keep the culture intact here.
1: And a great use of that word, you're right. Um, Coach Taylor was saying that over and over in the beginning, and, and it got to the point where it felt like rhetoric, but they actually did it. I mean, this is a, a hard-nosed team. They play together. There's no divas. We have guys that are on the, the track to the Hall of Fame if, if their careers continue to go like this. And no one's, like, too cool for anybody on this team. Like, the way they root for Trent Irwin, the way they, they congratulated Wilcox. I, I said that earlier in the broadcast before I got on with you guys, but you're exactly right. Culture. It's, it's a culture, it's a winning culture, and it's going to be a successful culture.
2: I don't know if you guys watched uh, the locker room. You know, like YouTube puts on Locker Room with this you know, the game balls, who gets the game balls and what. And it was funny that um, Zach Taylor started off yesterday by saying, listen, we got no t-shirts with sayings on them, you know, de- declaring what we're doing. We just go out and win. And I, the first thing I thought it was Marvin Lewis with his, uh, you know, famous t-shirts with quotes on them, so uh yeah it just uh it's just a uh culture that he promoted and said let's stick together and it's working oh i love the locker room after the games you know tom just already brought up and
0: kind of sort of stole my point so thank you so much tom but i'll, <laughs> end, I'll, I'll end on top of that uh the celebrations is nice. It it doesn't really pencil in that this was just a one person kind of ordeal. It was a total team effort. You know, you heard the rumblings from Jermaine Pratt, you know, with a couple of tweets that he put out there about, you know, he's a three down linebacker. I'm not sure if people saw that. But that almost could have blown up out of complete whirlwind and it did He got a game ball, if I'm not mistaken, because he made a crucial interception that was literally one of the greatest ones I've ever seen personally, like Zach Taylor said, um, in the Bengals' uniform. And I've been watching football for a long time, and I also studied the game for a long time. Jermaine Pratt's interception as a linebacker, that is probably one of the greatest I've ever seen. And that just shows you that, hey, he doesn't let the distractions of maybe future contract talks or, you know, playing time, all that that nonsense that he's about the team the money is really going to come later even though my man needs to get paid you know um i also love how they stand up for each other and they also understand that hey they probably felt slighted a little bit about tom brady's comments about the fairly tough defense personally i didn't think much of it because when i listened to that that segment that excerpt off the let's go podcast that's where the, the, the comment came from. You probably would have heard that in this entirely is that ah, Brady was just kind of giving a quick little rundown of what he knows about the Bengals as of this year and the last year. Hey, I don't think that he really meant it as a true insult, but I can see why the players might have taken it that way because it's like, dude, the Bengals defense has been playing really great football this season and last season, but yet. If it was the Pittsburgh Steelers that you were coming up against, I don't think that you probably would have said fairly tough defense. You probably would have said really tough defense because it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. If it was Baltimore, you probably would have said really tough defense. But for some reason, it just doesn't – it just goes to show sometimes that the players feel like that everybody else is not doing their homework on the Cincinnati Bengals like they think that they are because they think that they know us when they really don't. I think back to Justin Reese's comments when he made the whole – Tyler Higby, Higgins, Hurst, whoever, he didn't know who he was talking about. You should have did your homework before you started talking trash, and now you saw what happened. You get bodied and you lose the game. So these players feel connected. They are a connected team. I love the locker room celebrations. I love everything that they're doing as far as, like, not getting themselves too high. To Tom's point, again, they mentioned a whole, we don't have any T-shirts and hats talking about we accomplishing it. We haven't clinched anything. Because this team knows that the mission and their sights are set higher than that, and they, they bonded together over that. They also understand that what they did last year, they don't need to get down and out on it, that they know that they're a great team and even better team this year. I love it. Hats off to the coaching staff. Hats off to the locker rooms, um, the, the players, the, everybody. This is an incredible culture that I keep saying. I keep enhancing <laughs> on culture. But Zach Taylor said it when we first got here, and we all dismissed it. So I'm going to keep emphasizing it on it here on this podcast today on this episode
1: well put my man and bulletin board material I don't know why these opponents are doing that and it is a lack of respect and you're right they would refer to it as the tough Ravens defense and the tough Pittsburgh defense but you know what take us lightly because look what happened last year when everyone took us lightly and I do also I, I want to just touch on a few things that you said uh the context of Tom Brady you're right like when you read it in print it sounds like he really dissed the Bengals but when you hear it in context it, it was a little more innocent than that, but it doesn't matter. We were able to use it to our advantage to motivate. And, you know, a couple of the guys were really angered by that. So, it, you know, it ended up being to our advantage. And the other thing was the Jermaine Pratt interception. You are so right. I mean, how many wide receivers are even going to make that catch? It, it was amazing. And, you know, even the announcers were, were like, oh, he's celebrating, but it hit the ground. Well,. Uh, no, Mr. Nance, it did not hit the ground. That was funny, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, too. Yes, Nance, he did
0: hit the ground. You know, he, he kind of got ahead of himself there, but sorry.
1: But <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I want to go back to the game in a second, but I wanted to take a right turn here, because I know, Tom, this is right up your angle. What are you thinking with Pratt playing the way he is and Logan Wilson, you know, almost playing on a Pro Bowl level or playing on a Pro Bowl level, and you have Burrow and Higgins. Like, I know it's too early to get crazy about the money in the offseason but what are you, what are your thoughts when you see these great performances about you know from guys that are coming up in contract years
2: Mike Brown always has that uh, reserve fund available and maybe he extends somebody now to take less bullet next year but this is what happens when you win you know you got to pay guys and um, it's going to be very interesting and you know we said this in the past but Wilson better be an all-pro, not pro-bowl, first-team all-pro. But you're right, Frank, you know, success, these guys are going to have their hands out. I think what's going to happen, though, I think Joe Burrow is more of a team player than we, we know he is, but it's he's going to show when it comes time to pay him that he's going to be you know, I don't want to break the bank because I want these guys around. And, you know, I know we said this in the past about, and I, I know I have, about why isn't Joe Burrow in more commercials? I don't, after looking more and more guys getting commercials, maybe he's not that type of guy. Maybe he's like, ah, I don't want to put my face out there all the time. You know, I, I'm, I'm in the football and winning. Maybe we're all worried. Why isn't he out there more? Why isn't he? I think the key guys are going to be Wilson, T. Higgins, and Chase to try to get them signed. You know, of course, with Joe Burrow, but hopefully we just continue to draft well and pick up free agents that'll fit our system. So, I mean, it's going to be tough, but
1: I, I have faith in, uh, in Mike Brown. Yeah and you know I would prefer that Joe Burrow didn't do commercials either. You know no distractions and you seem like more of a warrior when you're not doing like these comedic skits that you see in between every freaking play. So I, right. I, I'm kind of kind of behind that. I don't know. I'm I'm hoping that's the case, but I mean there's a ton of money waiting out there for him when he wants it and you know I'm, both contract-wise and Endorsement-wise, but you know we'll see how that flies. You mentioned something interesting that I wanted to run by Justin. Justin, what do, what are your thoughts on Burrow come contract time? Is he going to leave money for other guys, make some concessions, or like, again, a little early to be talking about this, but it did come up. So, what are your thoughts on on Joe Burrow's charity when re-signing his contract? Well, first thought is I'll say Burrow is the type of guy that strikes me.
0: He he struck me early on when I first started studying about him coming out of college that he's a guy that just me that he's always going to be about putting his team before his own personal needs. Sure, he's going to get paid handsomely, but he also understands that in order to continue winning and winning at a high level, that other guys are going to have to get their fixes too. It can't just be Burrow and the scrap people a bunch of guys, even though we do believe in Joe Burrow's ability to uplift everybody that he plays with, but even some of the greats have doesn't have that ability to uplift every single person, not even Tom Brady, you know, even in his prime. I've seen I got a couple of examples. I'm not going to go over it. this is the Bengals podcast. But Joe Burrow does strike me that hey, if he I don't care either way it goes, if he becomes the highest paid quarterback in the NFL history, so be it. He deserves it. He took his team, a Cincinnati Bengals organization that had no clout, no credibility, no championships, no banners hanging in the stadium, and took them to a Super Bowl, albeit we did not win it. But we almost did, and we got there, and we balled out in that Super Bowl. If he, Especially if he does that again and actually finishes the job, who's to argue against him not being the highest-paid quarterback? I also see him, hey, maybe I could be in the same realm as everybody else, but you don't have to make me the highest-paid. Because when you're the highest-paid quarterback in the league, that tends to come with a lot of pressure. There tends to be a lot of unnecessary scrutiny from the media that you don't really need, and Burrow's kind of a personal guy anyway. Uh, I'm with you guys. I, I will always criticize, like, well, how come they don't really kind of bring the commercial opportunities for Joe Burrow? And I was thinking to myself, like, you know what? This kind of goes back to he want to play this game the right way. He want to do things the right way, not skip any steps. Yes, the commercials is going to just bring too many distractions. He's a lovable guy. He's a likable guy, man. Everybody wants a piece of Joe, Joe Scheisty, you know, Joe you know, however you want to prefer to phrase him and call him by nickname. Everybody wants a piece of that, that action. Yet here he is still just focused on locked in. I want to win football games 100% of the time. So when it comes to contract time, man, whether he's the highest paid or not, I don't care either way how it goes. The front office just got to continue to get creative and be able to continue to. Expand their horizons into acquiring talent that doesn't have to just be the draft or free agency. Maybe you do have to move a guy, move on a guy. Maybe like do a sign a trade or deal. Well, I mean, maybe we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, there, But you got to get creative to acquire talent in this league. You can't keep doing the same things over and over again. But while you're getting while you're expanding your methods of acquiring talent, your original ways of drafting and developing your guys has to remain the same. With the understanding that. Every guy's not always going to be able to attain the same message that you have built up so far, especially in the salary caps era. So uh, that's that's my statement on the
1: Joe Burrow in terms of his contract negotiations coming up in the near future. Yeah, and you, you make a good point. I mean, if you're the top-paid quarterback, there is a lot of pressure that comes with it, and then there's not a lot of money to spread around. I mean, I think we saw that with the Seahawks years ago when they gave Russell Wilson the big deal, and then the Legion of Boom fell apart. So, you know, there's there's a lot of examples out there. Tom, what, what's your prognosis on the AFC? I mean, we only need to win basically one more to be in the playoffs. You know, there's a lot of action going on, a lot of teams that are in the middle of the pack that might make the playoffs. What, what are your thoughts on the whole picture right now?
2: Thursday night, they said the Jets lose. The Bengals will get a playoff berth. So they might be in the playoffs before they even board the, the plane. Uh, listen, they're in the driver's seat. What's schedule? what second-half schedule they have to deal with. They're running through this like uh, hot knife and butter. I originally said I thought the Tampa game, if they were going to lose one, lose that one. Now I just see they played their worst first half compared to maybe, you know, the Cleveland, our Cleveland game. Um, and they still won yesterday. So I just see him walking through the, the the rest of the the last three games. You know, they beat Buffalo, which will move them into the second place. And then, you know, looking the way that uh, Kansas City played last few weeks, I mean, they're doable. So back of my mind always says, I don't like when they have a week off. I'd rather have that momentum, you know, play that first week, that wild card weekend and uh, continue because it might you might need three quarters to get going so you know get in the playoff and let's just do what we do uh you know i just think this team is destined
1: yeah tom and you mentioned the wild card round and i mean we we don't control our own destiny i mean we beat the bills we're going to be at least a second seed if we win out we need a kc loss so we don't know what's going to happen there. If they lose, you know, good, we'll get that first-round bye. I'm kind of with you, Tom. I like to see you play straight through because a lot of teams coming off the bye just don't seem to be ready. And yeah. um, I, But I know the bye is a time to heal hurt players, so it's kind of like a fine line there. Justin, out of the remaining teams that we could be facing in the wildcard round, who would scare you the most? None of them. I'm going to say
0: that 100%, not a single one. And let me start by saying this, first and foremost. I don't care about the number one seed. I'm on on the opposite side of what everybody else is. I get it. Everybody wants to buy. But I don't care about the number one seed like everybody else do. Because that involves Kansas City Chiefs losing a game throughout their stretch. And I don't think they're going to lose throughout the rest of the games. You know, they got Seattle coming up. And then I believe they have the Broncos and the Raiders, I guess, to finish out their season. I I think they're going to go through a full sweep. And if they lose one of those games, it will be a complete shock to me. And I get it how they played against the Houston Texans. But I'm just so highly confident in the Cincinnati Bengals team that any hand or any cards that you deal them, they will look at that and be like, no excuses. Let's go make it happen. This is what we're seeing when they're going on this six-game winning streak and counting run that they're doing right now. I was very much critical of them and how they were playing. When we got to the bye week, I jumped on an episode with you guys, and we were talking about that they have definitely went below my expectations for how they started the season. But, man, the rebound has been incredible that I don't even care about the first two weeks of the season no more. I don't even like to talk about, oh, well, if we would to kicked an extra point this year, I don't care. I don't care. We're 10-4. Yes, I understand that if a couple of days bounced their way, we could have be been even better, but they didn't. And you know what? That's okay. They fought through adversity, they licked their wounds, and they started being confident and feeling confident in their team, their quarterback, their defense, offense, coaches, and then they're playing so great right now that no one wants to see this Bengals team. Now... To answer your question, because I don't want to say no one has a cop-out answer, cause, but that's just my honest opinion how I feel. I believe that the Bengals will either have the two or three seed, and that's perfectly fine with me. If you were to hold a proverbial gun to my head and I have to choose which other AFC as a wild card that I would, I would kind of have to face and be a little bit hesitant to face, it would be a round three matchup with Baltimore, with the healthy Lamar Jackson coming back. It also bodes well that I think the Chargers are playing really well right now. They're playing decently, okay? But Herbert's playing well right now. That is a quarterback that you still got to be able to beat, too, even though I believe the Bengals will. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be a challenge. But that's the thing. You want this challenge, guys. The Bengals fan base... We gotta stop looking for breaks along the way. We we can't we can't look at that anymore. We're gonna get everybody's best shot. The other teams are seeing what we're doing. Whether they pay attention more scrutiny or not, they know exactly what we're doing here. They're not looking at this like, oh well, the Bengals are on a six-game win streak. Oh, we're not we're gonna overlook them. Let's say that we do finish the season on a nine-game winning streak going into the first round playoff. Whoever we're matched up with, They're going to want to give us our best shot, whether that is the Miami Dolphins, whether that is the the L.A. Chargers, or the Baltimore Ravens. So we got to be prepared to beat one of those three teams in the first round. And then let's say we have the three seed and Buffalo Dues end up with the two seed and Kansas City gets the one seed or vice versa. You better be prepared to go on the road in their house and beat them there. And I wouldn't want it no other way because the Bengals have shown they can do it. And I don't care about, oh, it's going to be super cold and Buffalo I wouldn't want to go there. Well, it's super cold here, too, in Cincinnati. So just because it's not a blizzard on every single hour of the day, okay. And if you watch Buffalo on Saturday night, I really feel like that that team could really be had. It, I really do. I am looking yes. forward to the Saturday night game, Week 17, because I think that that's going to solve a lot
2: of people's playoff implications. Yes, I I. I firmly believe with you justin that buffalo can't stop the run and with p ryan and mixon i just feel that the bengals will be a tough out and going off what you said can you believe the fans in tampa it was like a home game all you heard was who day on the tv screen i mean
0: it's amazing it was remarkable, and I'm not surprised because there is a promo. I can't remember who the one that came up with. It's called Fans of Cincy that they put together packages for four different road games this season, and Bengals fans just showed up and showed out, and hopefully they do it again next year because I really believe that that should be a thing. And calling card for Bengals fans, they go start traveling for these road games to see our Bengals play in opponent stadiums. And then also, also we have a really great showing in Florida Surprisingly, So when they saw this game on the schedule that Brady was coming back out of retirement and we have a potential Burrow versus Brady, I was excited to see that I was wanting to play a trip because I, I had to see that matchup at least one time before it's all said and done with Tom Brady. So I was very impressed to see that turn out in, in the crowd too.
1: Week 16 preview, Cincinnati Bengals at New England Patriots. All right, so let's do a quick review of the 7-7 seven and seven Patriots, who, as the term goes, probably are a little bit salty after this loss this week. Just a huge mistake at the end. Belichick did not want to talk about it at all. So a fun season when you get to face Tom Brady one week and then Bill Belichick the next week. And Belichick runs the show here. I mean, he's got Patricia and Judge as, like, co-offensive coordinators, but you know Belichick's got his hands all over it. Even as defensive coordinator, he's got his son Steve in there as kind of the coordinator, but it's all Belichick, and he's even got his son Brian coaching the safety, so it's a real family affair over there, but don't let it fool you. If you're thinking, well, Patricia and Judge, they're not qualified to call offensive plays. It's all Bill Belichick, and we have to give him the respect. He is the GOAT as well. So we dethroned a GOAT last week, and we're going to dethrone a GOAT this week, and the Patriots really need this game to stay in the playoff race. And we just need a win by us and a loss by them in any capacity to clinch the playoffs. So a huge playoff implication game for both of these teams. On offense, they're 19th best in rushing. They're 22nd in passing. On defense, they're 9th against the rush and 9th against the pass. And yes, they're on top, number one in special teams. And that's happened a few times this year where we happen to face the team that that week had climbed to number one in the special teams rankings. All right, so offensively, what do the Patriots bring? Mac Jones is a quarterback. I mean, he was a winner in college. You know, he's pretty level-headed. I just don't think he's a superstar quarterback, and you're seeing it. You know, he usually doesn't win games with his arm. The real weapon here is Ramondre Stevenson, that powerhouse running back that is just lighting things up. He got banged up a couple weeks back, but here he was this week getting like 130 or whatever yards. So I think he's the biggest threat. I don't fear their passing game. Aguilar's a speed receiver, but he's containable. Jacoby Myers, having a pretty good year, but not someone that you lose sleep over. The second rounder, Tyquan Thornton, still learning the NFL game. You got Kendrick Bourne coming off the bench. Devontae Parker's injured. Not a lot of targets there. You got Hunter Henry and Johnu Smith as tight ends. I, I would consider them bigger threats than most of these wide receivers. But really, if you could stop Stevenson, this team is in trouble. You go to their offensive line, Trent Brown, 6'8", 370. Now that could be a matchup problem for Joseph Osai, unfortunately. Brown's not lighting it up this year, but it's just a huge size difference. So is going to have to get under him, around him, because I'm not sure if he's going to be able to power through him. And then left guard, Cole Strange, it's a rookie first rounder, you know, still learning the game. David Andrews at center is having a great year. Michael Nguyenu is the third-rated guard in the NFL right now, so he's having a good year. And Connor McDermott at right tackle, you know, he's not lighting it up either. If you look at their offensive line, it's a little bit like ours from last year. I mean, unfortunately, a little bit better than ours was. But they have a first-rounder in there, just like we did. But they have two sixths, a seventh, and an undrafted. And I know once you get to the NFL, it doesn't matter where you were drafted. If you're coached by Bill Belichick, it especially doesn't matter where you're drafted. But you're seeing an offensive line that is struggling a little bit with a lot of guys without that pedigree of being like these top athletes that are drafted in the first, second round. So what do you do against these guys? I think we're going to generate some pressure. I don't think they're going to be able to throw the ball on us. And with this run defense, it's going to be our strength against their strength. I've been saying this pretty much every week where you sell out to stop their best player. And in this case, I think that's exactly what we do. I think we load the box up. We let Hill and Reeder go to work. And we contain Stevenson. And you force Mac Jones to try to win it with his arm. And with that core of people to throw to, and that's a winning formula. I can't see the Patriots scoring more than a touchdown or two in this game. And I also saw they have Scotty Washington on the practice squad. So glad to see he ended up somewhere. All right, defensively, they have two great defensive ends. And, and when I was looking, they do some weird stuff with their defensive line. They have two defensive ends that come in on passing downs. And they have basically a totally different defensive line that's in there on, like, first down in obvious running situations. So you have Josh Uche, who had a great game, and Matthew Judon, who's at the top of the league in sacks. So those are two guys to really worry about this game. And Dietrich Wise is also a decent pass rusher. They have him inside sometimes. They put him outside. And Jamie Collins coming off the bench. Haven't heard much from him this year. But, you know, those are all guys that can get after Joe Burrow. When they're playing the run, they have Guy in there. They have Barmore, who... We infamously passed on to get Jackson Carmen, and I was always curious how their careers would turn out. And, and then you have Godchek also who comes in there at end on running down. So really, I guess, pretty unique, and I, I guess call it clever or call it original, but, yeah, they have a totally different defensive line, whether it's a run situation or a nickel, dime, or obvious passing situation. Linebacker Juwan Bentley is playing very well for them. And they also have Jelani Tavai, the second-round pick, who's learning his way through the NFL. Corner, you have the two Joneses there. Marcus Jones playing excellent. Jonathan Jones playing decently, a 4-3 guy there too. So a lot of defenders on this team that you really haven't heard of that are playing pretty well. So I would say it's a pretty formidable defense. Slot corner, Miles Bryant, he's vulnerable, like most of the slot corners in the league. So, you know, hopefully Tyler Boyd is up to the task and his finger feels better and he can put up some big numbers this week. You have Devin McCourty, the veteran, at one safety. You have Kyle Duggar, the second-rounder, at the other safety. And they also have Jabril Peppers coming in sporadically, another first-rounder. So a very solid defensive unit, although, again, not a lot of big names. So the real key here is you have to protect on the edges because Uche and Judon could really mess up a game. I don't know. I think we can run on them. I think we can exploit the slot corner. I think we can exploit Jonathan Jones. I think Jamar Chase against anybody, even Marcus Jones playing hot, is still not going to be a factor. So when we're on offense, it's going to be the usual theme. Protect Joe Burrow, an even mix of pass and run, some Tyler Boyd in this game in the slot, let Jamar Chase and Higgins go crazy, and don't fear anybody on the secondary, regardless of how well they're playing. It's really the two defensive ends that could be game changers. We contain those guys. Sky's the limit. We're not going to lose this game. And then lastly, special teams, Matthew Slater, just want to give credit to a phenomenal player. And he's going to be one of those rare special teamers that goes to the Hall of Fame. Prediction for the game, big win by Cincinnati to just clinch it all. 31-17 Bengals. We score plenty. They're having a hard time scoring. It's lopsided, and everyone continues to notice the Cincinnati Bengals team, which is going places. (music)
2: AFC North
1: standings The Cincinnati Bengals are in first place in the AFC North with a 10 and 4 record. They lead the second place Ravens who are 9 and 5 and the third and fourth place Browns and Steelers who are both at 6 and 8. The Bengals are currently the third seed in the AFC That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the game against the Patriots and a preview of the upcoming matchup against the Buffalo Bills, which could be for number one seed in the AFC. And we're also going to welcome in some special guests as well. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music. Definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life.
2: The Unofficial Bengals Podcast